following is a very important message. Uh-oh. Looks like somebody's leaking. Hello. You come to Happy Coffee Break. We give you happy coffee. And then you go away. Now get the fuck out of here. See the entire Earth turned into a huge time bomb. We are fighting for our lives. My family must survive. Yeah, I'm not the enemy. I don't know who the enemy is. State your name. Welcome back, boys and girlies, to the Happy Horror Coffee Break. It's been a little bit, been a little busy, but I hope you enjoyed the mid-hiatus Xmas in July special recorded back before last Christmas, and somehow never made it to air. I don't know what happened. It disappeared and it reappeared, and luckily for me, I was able to upload it while I'm in the process of recording this current episode that you're now listening to, so I enjoy. <laughs> what up, shit stains? Oh, and Eris is back too. Don't call it a comeback, or I'll burn you and your family. JK. Yes, we're all happy that Eris is back too. But enough about me, let's listen to stories I read. <laughs> okay, kid. I'm going to give you one more chance to tell your side of the story. Let's start from the beginning. Okay, okay. That afternoon, after school, my friend Dalton and I met up with Jake. I just turned 18, so I went ahead and bought them some smokes. We went into the thick wooded area behind the store, and we stopped at this crossroads about halfway through the woods. There's a stone up there that marks the center, and we just sit around it and just shoot the shit for hours. But that day felt a little different, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, we talked about going to this little cavern further out, just before the town line. You know, right there we'd be totally out of sight and not have to worry about anyone walking dogs or checking up on us. Well, it's pretty cool, you know? Nobody goes out there because it kind of smells like farts. That's sulfur, kid. Well, you know. Alright, keep talking. So we, uh, we went to the cavern, and put our flashlight down, and pulled out a new pack of cigs. Now, I packed mine against my palm for a moment, but Dalton and Jake just tore theirs open and dug right in. They kind of looked at me with this goofy look, and I was like, what? And I said, why do you smack your hand with the pack like that? And so I say... It packs the tobacco so it stays lit longer. That's how my grandfather did it, at least. Wait, that's how your grandfather did it? That's how your grandfather did it? Did it? Your grandfather killed a bunch of kids, too? Big family killers, huh? God, you're whoa, 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 Simpleton, simpletons, get out of here. Simpletons, go lay down. Jesus. All right, kid, keep talking. Oh, okay, so. Dalton said it's a myth. I just laughed it off. And what happened after that? Well, that's when the shit hit the fan. After I lit up my smoke, we started to hear a strange tapping noise from just outside the cave. 
Now it wasn't too far out, but the light wasn't strong enough to reach all the way down the cavern walls, so we just all kind of stared into the darkness, darkness for a moment. We just wrote it off as a bat or something. Thought it was a bat? You thought it was a bat? How about I take a bat to your skull? No, 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 but as soon as we stood up, the tapping noise started again. It was more like a smacking this time. It was louder, too. I you didn't see what it was? No, we just kind of stared at the darkness. Darkness! But this time I shined a light at it and I noticed something. I saw kind of like a silhouette a little ways down. And it kind of reminded me of somebody packing cigarettes like I was earlier. Dalton asked who it was and I just shook my head and said, let's get out of here. As we got up and left, it started smacking again. But this time it was coming from outside the cave. I could see the light ahead, but there wasn't a silhouette this time. I was like, what the hell, dude? And you didn't see anybody? No, 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 no. I was like, who is this guy? And we we just kept walking out anyway because we had to get out of there. And we walked out in the sunlight and we just braced ourselves for like some kind of homeless creep or something. We didn't see anybody and we thought it was all cool. But then suddenly... Susan, can we get a fresh pot of coffee? Thank you, Susan. Go on. There's a big gust of wind, and it threw leaves all around us. And I heard Dalton. He was like, Gah! And Jake was like, Gah! And they were both at the same time like, Gah! You know? And, and I swung around to see what was going on, and I saw him. Him? Or it. I don't know. It was, a, it was like a tall man. Baby! Standing about eight feet. And he was holding Dalton and Jake by the backs of their hoodies. And, like, right next to him, there was this big, like, ornate wooden box. And they, they were just kicking and throwing themselves around, and they couldn't get out of his hands. And I was like, come on, man, just let him go. Well, of course he didn't let him go. You keep saying he. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. But he had on this silly little cowboy hat, and he wore the black button-up shirt with a tan vest over it. But it, it, his face... Yeah, what about his face? It, 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 it looked human, but his nose was gone. This guy didn't have a nose? No, he just had these little slits on his face. It was chilling as fuck. Whoa, watch your fucking mouth, kid. Sorry. I knew I had to think fast, but every time I do that, I always make stupid mistakes. So, what'd you do? Well, I lunged forward, and I grabbed them both by their sweatshirts, and I yelled, Hey, let him go! But he didn't let him go. Now he looked at me and he shrieked like, ah! You know? It shook me loose of him and then it just shocked me and I let go and fell backwards and I started to hear that sound again. That sound? Yeah, the, the tapping, smacking sound from earlier. It was just, it was like hundreds of people were packing cigarettes all around us. I was just looking around. I didn't see anything. I was just gasping, just trying to, trying to breathe. So scared. And all of a sudden, there was this just loud voice out of nowhere. It was going, You've made your decisions, bruh. And you made the decision to kill the kids. I knew you did it. No, you did no, it. No, 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 no. Get the hell out of here. Will somebody please lock that door? <laughs> you know, like I just started to look around, try to see if I could find anybody. There was nothing. I saw Jake and Dalton looking up at the thing, and they stopped moving around. They were just staring at him. And then all of a sudden, he says, you shall not divert from your patterns of habit. 
If you forget, you will regret. I didn't forget it. And then it happened. You don't play games? What happened? Well, like, it was like one fluid motion. He opened up the hatch in the box, and he threw my friends in it. And then he started to shut the box and lift it with one hand. And then he slammed it. Wham! Wake me up before you go, go. He's smacking against his giant palms. Like, over and over like a fresh pack of smokes. I could hear him screaming inside it, and just the boom of the box against his palms. Every time he smacked it, he was talking. He said, always pack your cigarettes. I screamed. <laughs> and then... Yeah, come on. Everything went silent. Dalton and Jake's mangled bodies, they fell out of the box and just hit the ground with a thud. And the, the, the creature just stood there. It didn't make any expression or anything. But I think it was happy with what it did. My friends were now dead. Deed. There was nothing I could do. And then it looked at me and it said, Do not stray from your routines. In the next life, these poor souls would be wise to follow your lead. Thank you for packing. And he said all this to you? Yeah. And then, without another word, the supernatural outlaw dragged its box back into the cave. And I could hear the sound of loose bones rattling inside it. And then... Oh, jeez, kid, spit it out. It disappeared into the darkness. Okay, so let's say I believe you. You're telling me you and your friends went out to smoke, were confronted by some giant crazy cowboy who took your friends, put them in the box, shook it around, dumped their bodies, and disappeared. Yeah. All right, I've heard enough. Simple tits, come take him out of here. No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Eeries, calm your ass down. What is going on? Nothing. Oh hey, remember that time I asked you to hide me from the police? Yeah, do that thing again. What did you do this time? Did you go back to the Hall of Presidents and try to release all the animatronics? No, you idiot. They took out the access ramp so I can't get back inside. Let's just say for... I don't know... 20 bucks. I never saw you. How about I just piss my antifreeze into your Kool-Aid when you least expect it? Well, I think the police are arriving at... Fine. Here. I took it from your wallet earlier anyway. Well, thank you. Jerk. Well, let me just take off the... There. Now you're just a regular desk lamp and floor bag again. Oh, while we try to sort this nonsense out, let's go to the next story. In the criminal justice system, Lovecraftian monster stories are considered especially stupid. In the creepypasta universe, the dedicated detectives who investigate these stupid stories are members of an elite squad known as the Stupid Stories Unit. This is that story. All right, all right, order in the court. I said order. Now, let's hear the statement of Randolph Carter. Mr. Carter? Thank you, Your Honor. I... I repeat to you, gentlemen, that your inquisition is fruitless. Detain me here forever, if you will. Confine me, or execute me, if you must. Have a victim to propitiate the illusion you call justice. I can say nothing more than I have said already that I can remember. I have told you with perfect candor and comedic timing. Nothing has been distorted or concealed, and if anything remains vague, it is only because of the dark cloud which has come over my mind. That cloud 
and the nebulous nature of the horrors which brought it upon me. Again I say, I do not know what has become of Harley Warren, though I think, almost hope, that he is in peaceful oblivion, if there be anywhere so blessed a thing. It is true that I have for five years been his closest friend and a partial sharer of his terrible researches into the unknown. I will not deny, though my memory is uncertain and indistinct, that this witness of yours may have seen us together, as he says, on the Gainesville Pike, walking toward Big Cypress Swamp at half past eleven on that awful, awful night. Objection! Sustained. No flashback sequences in the courtroom. We both bore electric lanterns, spades, and a curious coil of wire with attached instruments, I will even affirm. For these things I all played a part in the single hideous scene which remains burned into my shaken recollection. But of what followed, and of the reason I was found alone and dazed on the edge of the swamp the next morning, I must insist that I know nothing save what I have told you over and over again. You say to me that there is nothing in the swamp or near it which could form the setting of that frightful episode. I reply that I know nothing beyond what I saw. Vision or nightmare it may have been. Vision or nightmare I fervently hope it was. Yet it is all that my mind retains of what took place in those shocking hours after we left the sight of men manly men, and what Harley Warren did not return, he, or his shade, or some nameless thing I cannot describe, alone can tell. As I have said before, the weird studies of Harley Warren were well known to me and to some extent shared by me. Of his vast collection of strange, rare books on forbidden subjects, I have read all that are written in the languages of which I am master, but these are few as compared with those in languages I cannot understand. Objection, Your Honor. The story is boring as fuck. Overruled. Most, I believe, are in Arabic. In the fiend-inspired book which brought on the end, the book which he carried in his pocket out of the world was written in characters whose like I never saw elsewhere. Warren would never tell me just what was in that book. As to the nature of our studies, must I say again that I no longer retain full comprehension? It seems to me rather merciful that I do not, for they were terrible studies, which I pursued more through reluctant fascination than through actual inclination. Warren always dominated me. Sometimes I feared him. I remember how I shuddered at his facial expression on the night before the awful happening, when he talked so incessantly of this theory. Why certain corpses never decay, but rest firm and fat in their tombs for a thousand years. But I do not fear him now, for I suspect that he has known horrors beyond my ken. Now I fear for him. Once more, I say that I have no clear idea of our object on that night. Certainly it had much to do with something in the book which Warren carried with him. That ancient book in undecipherable characters which had come to him from India a month before. But I swear I do not know what it was that we expected to find. 
You're a witness. Well, uh, okay. Now, thank you. Now, I'd like to ask... Says he saw us. Oh, okay. You're not done. Okay. At half past eleven on the Gainesville Pike. Headed for Big Cypress Swamp. This is probably true. But I have no distinct memory of it. The picture seared into my soul is of one scene only. And the hour must have been long after midnight, for I... Waning crescent moon was high in the vaporous heavens. The place was an ancient cemetery. So ancient... How ancient was it? Uh, yeah. So ancient that I trembled at the manifold signs of immemorial years. It was in a deep, damp, hollow, overgrown with rank grass, moss, and curious creeping weeds. <laughs> and filled with a vague stench which my idle fancy associated absurdly with rotting stone. On every hand were the signs of neglect and decrepitude, and I seemed haunted by the notion that Warren and I were the first living creatures to invade the lethal silence of Centris. Over the valley's rim, a waning crescent moon peered through the noisome vapors that seemed to emanate from unheard-of catacombs, and by its feeble wavering beams I could distinguish a repellent array of antique slabs, urns, cenotaphs, and mausoleum facades, all crumbling, moss-grown, and moisture-stained, and partly concealed by the gross luxuriance of the unhealthy vegetation. My first vivid impression of my own presence in this terrible necropolis concerns the act of pausing with Warren before a certain half-obliterated sepulchre, and of throwing down some burdens which we seem to have been carrying. I now observed that I had with me an electric lantern and two spades, whilst my companion was supplied with a similar lantern and portable telephone outfit. No word was uttered. For the spot and the task seemed known to us, and without delay we seized our spades and commenced to clear away the grass, weeds, and drifted earth from the flat, archaic mortuary. After uncovering the entire surface, which consisted of three immense granite slabs, we stepped back some distance to survey the charnel scene, and Warren appeared to make some mental calculations. Then he returned to the sepulchre, and using his spade as a lever, sought to pry up the slab lying nearest to a stony ruin which may have been a monument in its day. He did not succeed, and motioned to me to come to his assistance. Finally, our combined strength loosened the stone which we raised and tipped to one side. The removal of the slab revealed a black aperture from which rushed an effluence of miasmal gases so nauseous that we started back in horror. After an interval, however, we approached the pit again, and found the exhalations less unbearable. Our lanterns disclosed the top of a flight of stone steps dripping with some detestable ichor of the inner earth, and bordered by moist wall encrusted with nitre. And for the first time in my memory records, verbal discourse 
Warren addressing me at length in his mellow tenor voice. A voice so sexy, singularly unperturbed by our awesome surroundings. I'm sorry I have to ask you to stay on the surface, but it would be a crime to let anyone with your frail nerves go down there. You can't imagine, even from what you've read and from what I've told you, the things I shall have to see and do. It's fiendish work, Carter, and I doubt if any man without ironclad sensibilities could ever see it through and come up alive and sane. I don't wish to offend you, and heaven knows I'd be glad enough to have you with me, but the responsibility is in a certain sense mine. And I couldn't drag a bundle of nerves like you down to probable death or madness. I tell you, you can't imagine what the thing is really like. But I promise to keep you informed over the telephone of every move. You see, I have enough wire here to reach the center of the earth and back. I can still hear in memory those coolly spoken words, and I can still remember my remonstrances. I seem desperately anxious to accompany my friend into those sepulchral depths, yet he proved inflexibly obdurate. At one time he threatened to abandon the expedition if I remained insistent, a threat which proved effective. Since he alone held the key to the thing, all this I still remember, though I no longer know what manner of the thing we sought. After he had secured my reluctant acquiescence in his design, Warren picked up the reel of wire and adjusted the instruments. At his nod, I took one of the latter and seated myself upon an aged, discolored gravestone closely by the newly uncovered aperture. Then he shook my hand with his manly hands, shouldered the coil of wire, and disappeared within that indescribable osseur. For a moment I kept sight of the glow of his lantern and heard the rustle of the wire as he laid it down after him. But the glow soon disappeared abruptly as if a turn in the stone staircase had been encountered. And the sound died away almost as quickly. I was alone, yet bound to the unknown depths by those magic strands whose insulated surface lay green beneath the struggling beams of that waning crescent moon. In the lone silence of that hoary and deserted city of the dead, Deed. my mind conceived the most ghastly fantasies and illusions, and the grotesque shrines and monoliths seemed to assume a hideous personality. Half-sentience, amorphous shadows seemed to lurk in the darker recesses of the weed-joked hollow, and to flit as in some blasphemous ceremonial procession past the portals of the moldering tombs in the hillside. Shadows which could not have been cast by that pallid, peering crescent moon. I constantly consulted my watch by the light of my electric lantern and listened with feverish anxiety at the receiver of the telephone. But for more than a quarter of an hour I heard nothing. Then a faint clicking sound came from the instrument. And I called down to my friend in a tense voice, apprehensive as I was. I was nevertheless unprepared for the words which came up from that uncanny vault in accents more alarmed and quivering than any I had heard before from Harley Warren. He who had so calmly left me a little while previously now called from below in a shaky whisper more portentous than the loudest shriek God 
If you could only see what I'm saying. I could not answer. Speechless, I could only wait. Then came the frenzied tones again. Carter, it's terrible. Monstrous. Unbelievable. This time my voice did not fail me, and I poured into the transmitter a flood of excited questions. Terrified, I continued to repeat. Warren, what is it? What is it? Once more came the voice of my old friend, still hoarse with fear, and now apparently tinged with despair. I can't tell you, Carter. It's too utterly beyond thought. I dare not tell you. No man could know it and live. Great God. I never dreamed of this. Stillness again, save for my now incoherent torrent of shuddering inquiry. Then the voice of Warren in a pitch of wilder consternation. God, for the love of God, put back the slab and get out of this if you can. Quick, leave everything else and make for the outside. It's your only chance. Do as I say and don't ask me to explain. I heard, yet was able only to repeat my frantic questions. Around me were the tombs and darkness. Darknesses! And the shadows. Below me some peril, beyond the rages of the human imagination. But my friend was in greater danger than I, and I, through my fear, felt a vague resentment that he should deem me capable of deserting him under such circumstances. More clicking, and after a pause, a Piteous cry from Warren. Beat it. For God's sake, put the slab back and beat it. Carter, something in the boyish slang of my evidently stricken companion unleashed my faculties. I zipped it back to... I formed and shouted the resolution. Warren, brace up! I'm coming down! But at this offer, the tone of my auditor changed to a scream of utter despair. Don't. You can't understand. It's too late and my own fault. Put back the slab and run, you bastard. There's nothing else you or anyone can do now. The tone changed again, this time acquiring a softer quality as of hopeless resignation. Yet it remained tense through anxiety for me. Quick before it's too late. I tried not to heed him, tried to break through the paralysis which held me, and to fulfill my vow to rush down to his aid. But his next whisper found me still held inert in the chains of stark horror. Carter, hurry. It's no use. You must go. Better one than two. The slab. A pause. More clicking. Then the faint voice of Warren. Nearly over now. Don't make it harder. <laughs> Cover up those damn steps and run for your life. You're losing time. So long, Carter. Won't see you again. Magnificent bastard. Here Warren's whispers swelled into a cry. <coughs> a cry that gradually rose to a shriek <coughs> fraught with all the horror of the ages. Curse these hellish things. Legions. My God. Beat it. Beat it. Carter, I said beat it. After that was silence. I know not how many interminable aeons I sat stupefied, 
whispering, muttering, calling, screaming into that telephone. And over and over again through those eons, I whispered and muttered and called and shouted and screamed, Warren! Warren, answer me! Are you there? And then there came to me the crowning horror of all, the unbelievable, unthinkable, almost unmentionable thing. I have said that eons seemed to elapse after Warren shrieked forth his last despairing warning, and that only my own cries now broke the hideous silence. But after a while there was a further clicking in the receiver, and I strained my ears to listen. Again I called down, Warren! Are you there? And in answer heard the thing which has brought this cloud over my mind. I do not try, gentlemen, to account for that thing. That voice. I'm Danny DeVito. Nor can I venture to describe it in any detail. Since the first words took away my consciousness and created the mental blank which reaches to the time of my awakening in the hospital. Shall I say that the voice was deep, hollow, Gelatinous, remote, unearthly, inhuman, disembodied? What shall I say? Just shut up! It was the end of my experience! Thank God! And is the end of my story! I'm getting out of it! That natural place still open? I heard it and knew no more. Heard it as I sat petrified in that unknown symmetry in the hollow, amidst the crumbling stones and the falling tombs, the rank vegetation and miasmal vapors, heard it well up from the innermost depths of that damnable open sepulchre, as I watched amorphous necrophagous shadows dance beneath an accursed waiting moon. This is what it said. You fool! Warren is dead! Dead. The end! Oh, it is time once again for the creepy pasta corner. <laughs> oh. Tonight's creepy pasta is called Nighttime Twitches by Quintong. Do you ever lie awake at night trying desperately to fall asleep? And when it seems that you're finally going to pass into the world of dreams, one of your limbs jerks a bit without your permission. <laughs> it just means you're lucky. You may be thinking, how can I be lucky if sleep evaded me? Well, you don't have to believe me, but you are. You see, our world isn't the only world. Most people can't see, let alone comprehend it. But there are different planes surrounding us. You can think of it as there being different levels, or layers, if you will, to existence. There could be someone occupying the very same space as you right now. I know that this doesn't make a lot of sense to you right now, so just let me finish. These layers of existence overlap in certain ways. Have you ever put down something on a certain spot and then when you want it again, it's moved? Or maybe it's gone completely and you never see it again. That doesn't matter too much. But the point, it wasn't you that moved it. You can blame this phenomenon on a lot of things, but only one explanation is really true. Something on another plane moved it. Enough is enough! 
I have had it with these motherfucking plagues. It could be you <laughs> from another point in time. Or an alien creature. But I'm not here to explain why your favorite shirt is suddenly gone. No! This is a lot more serious than that. Those alien creatures I mentioned, some of them don't know that we're here too. And some of them just don't care. But there are others. Others that want to take what we have. Others that want to enslave us. At this point, you probably thinking that I'm batshit crazy. I promise you that there is a reason for this, though every time one of those involuntary twitches occur, it's them. They're trying to come through our plane. Motherfucker! That twitch was them trying to take control of your body. Fortunately for you, their timing was just a bit off. You were still awake, and that little twitch alerted your brain that something was wrong. They have to wait until you're asleep because your brain can't fight back. If you had been asleep, well, to put it simply, you wouldn't wake up. Your body will, and it will go about your day as usual. It will get up, eat breakfast, go to work or school, and do whatever you would. It copies your routine so well that no one, not even your friends and family, will notice that something is amiss. They might think you're acting a bit distant, but they probably won't bother with it too much. But make no mistake, this isn't you. This is your body being taken over by one of them. And during all this, you're helpless and can't do anything than watch while you're confined to a dark recess of your mind. I couldn't tell you exactly what they're doing, or what they want, or why. But believe me when I say you're lucky. You're awake now, and we can't get to you. <laughs> Did I say we? I obviously meant they. You believe me, right? I'm not one of them, I'm really not. Why would I be telling you the process for how they operate if I was one of them? That would be rather silly mistake for me to make, don't you think? Oh, well, it doesn't really matter now, so I guess I'll drop the act. Are you surprised? <laughs> Although that doesn't matter either, now does it? Just be seeing this, you've opened your mind to the possibility of the different planes, and that means we can come through. How does that feel? Knowing that you're being hunted, that your demise is inevitable, and that no one would believe you if you asked for help? And even if they did, they couldn't do anything to save you. Are you in denial? Unnerved? <coughs> scared? <coughs> terrified? <coughs> I suppose I'll find out soon enough. It might be right now. <coughs> Tonight. <coughs> Tomorrow. <coughs> Next week. <coughs> but never forget, we're coming! Oh, oh. Oh, and that about wraps it up for this week's installment of your favorite crappy, creepy pasta dramatic reenactment cast. Yes, what an awesome show. I'm sure someone out there appreciates hot garbage on phone voice recorders. Now put me back together, you dweeb. Oh, I don't know. I think I prefer you this way. God damn it. Listen, Fat Conan O'Brien, I have ways I can still murder you. Let's leave a poll on Twitter. 
Should we reconnect, Iris? Nobody ever reads your dumb posts, ass. I know! That's the beauty. <laughs> oh, but you can still get on the Twitter and check us out. Also get on the Facebook and the Instagrams. And we're also on Gmail. And you can also leave us a voice message. I'm not answering that phone. Call 918-928-5230. That spells out 918-WHAT-LADDO? Ha ha ha. Oh, be sure to visit channel4andahalf.com. Check out the other podcasts that might make you giggle. <laughs> Cigarettes Will Kill You by Mike Maxson. The Statement of Randolph Carter by H.P. Lovecraft. Nighttime Twitches by Huen Tong. And the Happy Horror Coffee Break by me, Brandon the McFadden. You know me. You seen me. Don't fucking say it. And that's all I got. Good night! I have a puppet that I want to show you.